Good morning, Sunnybrook. Um, my name is Jim, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're here to, to worship with us and to share the scriptures uh, with us and to gather around the Lord's table together. And also for uh, the opportunity that you're about to have to meet a young lady um, named Erin, who has uh, been a part of our fellowship um, for a number of years while she was in college. And right now she is serving as one of our missionaries in another part of the world. And I'll let her tell that, uh, that story. Um, but this time really is an important time for us, not just to give us a, a good world perspective, that's not what we're here, but to see what God is doing in other parts of the world. And so, um, Aaron, welcome, which sounds strange because you talk about how much you love Sunnybrook and have been a part of it, but um, we're glad to have you back. Tell us a little bit about your, um, I loved learning even about like your pilgrimage and your journey to faith and where you thought you were going to go and now you're, tell us that story again about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my name is Aaron. Um, I am 25 years old. Um, I graduated in uh, uh, 2013 with a speech path major um, from OSU, obviously. And um, I, I came into college kind of as the, um, like a stereotypical Christian. Um, I, uh, if you asked me about my schedule, I would say I did youth group on Wednesdays. I did Sunday school on Sundays. I went to Sunday or went to church and volunteered. Um, but if you asked me, what the gospel was, the only thing I knew was that there were four of them in the Bible, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, um, because that's what it said in my Bible, but I would have no idea what the gospel was. Um, so I kind of just had, it was like a Jesus in my back pocket. I kind of pulled them out when I needed, but that was really it. So I came in, and a girl named Megan started sharing with me um, what it really meant to follow uh, Jesus. And so I, at age 19, started um, would actually say I became a follower of Jesus and um, got involved with STUMO, Student Mobilization. You guys might know the Reitzes. Um, they're my great friends. And I um, was involved with them for a few years and started hearing about India. And I told the first service, told Jim that I never wanted to become a missionary. Um, I thought that if you were a missionary, you had nothing better to do with your life. So you went through all the other options, and then missionary was the only thing left, so you just went with it. Um, and honestly, so India was never, like, on my radar. Um, but I've been in India for three years, and um, I love it. It's great. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you do in India, because that's that's interesting. So you're not working in speech pathology, no. like you're, tell, tell us a little bit what the ministry looks like in, in, in India. What city are you in and? Sure, yeah, I'm in Delhi, um, Delhi, India. I feel like that's the most commonly known one. And basically my job is to work with um, college students and young professionals, so people around my age, and help them understand who Jesus is, who Yeshu, it's Jesus in Hindi, is, and, um, not only that, but help them understand how to follow him in a uh, contextual way. So not the American Christianity, but how can we make following Jesus relevant to them? Um, so what, I, what we do is um, I tell stories. Uh, we don't have like sermons, but I would just tell stories about what I'm reading in my Yeshu Grant, in my Bible. Um, and Yeshu Grant? Grant, yes, yes. Grant. So that's their word for like a holy book. So Yeshu's okay. holy book. Yeshu Grant. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I know this sounds like crazy. No, so, I like it. <laughs> well, so yeah, so I'll, and I'll read my story and I'll try to replace things that um, would be confusing to them and don't make any sense to something that would make sense to them and get the same idea. And so um, I'm telling these stories and we even worship in a different way. We don't have big um, congregational meetings uh, or sing worship songs like this. We'll do very intimate settings, um, worshiping with um, a little dia, a light, um, uh, talking about how that reminds us how Yeshua is the light of the world and he's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we use little um, agarbati, that's what they call it in India, um, little incense sticks and light those and say, okay, when we come in contact with Yeshua, our life becomes like a, a fragrant aroma um, and we're like burned down like a sacrifice. That's our job is to be a sacrifice to Yeshua. Okay, now I did this in first service. If you're freaking out right now, going, wait a second, what are you doing with lights? And what are you doing with incense? We're not Catholic or whatever you're thinking. Let me tell you <laughs> that the idea of lights and the idea of incense and the idea of are like really strong biblical images. It's the one sad part about just where we've gone to PowerPoint and kind of the big, it's true though, when yeah. we, we go to the big, it's, we sometimes lose the power of these images and these things. So I love hearing about people using things like candles and things like incense to remind us of who Jesus Christ is and how our lives represent that. So I'm just, you know, I don't, she's not gone crazy on us, okay? Got she me. didn't go to, to India and lose Jesus. She's actually in a very real and powerful way, hopefully even teaching us a little, about, a little bit about how we can use things that are very real and practical in a way with our friends as well. So yeah. I just, I, I thought they were gonna pass out. No, I know, please okay. stay with me. Okay, keep uh, going. Yeah, yeah, well, it's kind of just funny. I mean, I, my friends will say, okay, well, I wanna use this to worship Yeshua, and I'm like, no, you cannot do that. But then <laughs> I read in the Old Testament, okay, well, actually, tons of people did this, and this is just how they um, express worship. So it is interesting. Um, and so right now, um, we, whenever I tell people about Yeshua, they say, Man, that sounds great. I would love to follow Yeshua. He seems like a wonderful God. Um, they actually know a little bit about Yeshua, but, uh, or Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus. And, um, but they never wanna follow him as their only God. Um, I also told the first service, there's 300 and, or 33 million gods or something. Actually, nobody knows. They just make up random numbers every time I ask. But 33 million <laughs> is the most recent that I've gotten. And um, they, so they'll love to loop Jesus into that um, category, but they think it's impossible that one God could meet all of their needs. There, there has to be a separate God for finances and um, protection and education yeah. and all of that stuff. So Yeshua just seems um, too good to be true almost. So um, that's just what I do. I just tell stories and I always ask them, would you follow Yeshua as your only God? Um, would you ever be able to do that? And, um, and you guys have been a huge part of that. You don't know this, but you guys allow me to be over there um, through prayer and finances and stuff. So um, hundreds of people have gotten to hear about Yeshua because of you guys. So I'm really grateful. Well, listen, I think it's great that you get to put a face with a country and to hear uh, just how important it is that we as ascending church not just love and appreciate Aaron generically, but see her as an extension of what God is doing in us and through us. And so um, I, I think I can speak for all of us when I say you really are a genuine encouragement. We love to see God work through simple things. I, it's convicting. I, I still am trying to figure out why when I'm in Ghana or when I'm in Thailand, I feel like I can do those simple things. And then when I come back to Stillwater, I watch football, you know? I mean, I just kind of go on with my life. I hang out with my family instead of recognizing that the neighborhood that God has put me in, the workplace that God has put me in, the whatever context that God has put me in, that these same things are true. 
And we were talking about in first service as well, there's no Christian word for missionary per se. It might be an apostle, apostolos in the Greek meaning one sent out, um, but it's actually just a follower of Jesus who shares with other people who Yeshu, mm-hmm. who Yeshu yeah. is, and what Yeshu means, and what Yeshu means to them, and would you like to follow Yeshu as the only God of the universe? So good for us to hear. And so I would like for us to pray uh, for Aaron right now and for the work that's going on in India. And I'll also just point out to you that should one of you go out to our missions board and go, hey, how come there's no thing here for Aaron? I want to have a, it's, it's not, she's not afraid to have people know she's a follower of Jesus. Um, but there are parts of the world, and India is one of those, that have anti-conversion laws, that have some real serious restrictions, which would just make it almost impossible for her to go back. And so I, we really don't need you to Facebook post, hey, Aaron was here today talking about the work that she's doing in Delhi converting lost Hindus to the faith of Christianity, uh, that really could cause problems for her down the road. But again, we're not afraid to talk about our love for Jesus um, or Yeshu. We're not, we're, not, we're not trying to avoid that, um, but it really does create extra complications. So that's the reason why we don't have a special QR code for her there. But please pray for Aaron, um, for Stumo, and for uh, you're not the only one that is actually over there. Uh, so pray for them, and uh, let's, let's take that to God right now. And so, God, I thank you for Aaron and for her life, for her love for you, commitment to you, um, for the way that she has dedicated her life um, very naturally and normally to the proclamation of your name. And God, I pray that we as the church hear just how, um, again, natural and normal it is for her to talk about Jesus and to explain and to proclaim um, the good news that she has found to those and the challenge to say, would you like to follow this same one and find the peace that can only come in him? Um, God, I pray that as a church, we would hear that, that it would be encouraging for us and not just in a, I'm glad there are Christians in India sense, but I'm glad that a sister in Christ has reminded me how very uh, simple and profound at the same time the proclamation of your word actually is. Bless her. Um, Father, uh, I know that she's had some knee problems and now getting ready to travel for a long time and sitting for a long time. I I continue to pray for healing upon her knee. I I thank you for medicine and for what it can do and for a leg brace and what it can do. Um, But there is something, God, that only you can do. And I have no hesitation asking for the miraculous. God, may you do a wonderful and powerful work through her Um, and even in her in terms of bodily healing. And then beyond that, Father, um, and really more foundational and more eternal, may you use the example of her life and her devotion to you for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Aaron, we are grateful for you very, very much. Again, I would tell you to hurry, but that would be rude. Okay, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. We are um, kind of finishing up this section here. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 30, 10 verses that are uh, both interesting and challenging. Um, And by the way, before I forget, Aaron, I'm assuming you're sticking around through second service. I know that a number of people came up and wanted to talk to you after first. So she'll be down here. If you would like to know more about the ministry that she is doing in India, please feel free to grab Aaron afterwards and maybe even say either a word of encouragement or to, to, to connect with her. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, um, Jesus is going to offer some rather clear but rather firm and strict 
uh, rebukes against some people that he had been sharing the good news about himself with who decided to just pass on him. Now, what's interesting is, is that this becomes one of those subjects under the overarching idea of God's judgment that we usually don't like to talk about. That when we talk about the attributes of God, we love to describe him as loving and forgiving. Um, and we, I would never call God judgmental. But God is a judge. It's, it's part of his nature. It's part of his character. Without, without judgment, then there really is no righteousness. There really is no justice within this perfect God. And so the judgment of God is talked about quite a bit. And what usually happens with churches, if we're left to ourselves, is that we will, um, as a leadership, say, hey, what do our people need to hear? Well, our people need to learn about missions, about going overseas. And our people need to learn about how to be better parents and how to be better spouses. And our, our people need to learn about how to be more generous with their money. And our people need to learn about, and we pick all of these things, and we create a series about parenting and a series about marriage and a series about being socially conscious. And we create these series designed because we believe this is what you need to hear. And, and we pick and we choose you know what I'm talking about. It's what you do personally. It's what I do personally. I'm so aware of what I am going through at this very, very moment that it is easy for me and almost natural for me to Google depression, like biblical verses on just being depressed. And I look, and the Bible gives me some texts in Jeremiah and some texts in the Bible that kind of offer me hope. And this becomes a way. And so what am I, what am I going through right now? And so you can look at, whether it's BibleGateway.com or Blue Letter Bible or just even Googling verses on whatever, we pick those verses and then we try to apply them to our lives. By the way, that's not a bad thing to do. Churches aren't bad for picking and selecting the verses that they believe maybe. And I do believe the Holy Spirit even guides that process. But, but when do you find yourself like picking the stuff you don't want to hear? And, and when do you find yourself reviewing, um, being spoken to by the full counsel of who God is instead of the selected counsel of what you want to hear about God? Because when, when that happens, very seldom do I pick the verses that I don't want to hear, the, the verses that I'm genuinely struggling with. And that's why it's good for us to stop and say, listen, it's gonna take a while, but we're going through the entire Gospel of Matthew. You wanna know why? One of the biggest reasons why is that then Jim doesn't get to pick the text that he thinks you need to hear or that he thinks he needs to hear. But the whole Gospel, the entire Gospel of Matthew forces me to deal with all of it. It's there. I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. A number of years ago, um, I remember getting some... Um, some email from one particular person who was genuinely struggling um, with what he was hearing from, from me, from my preaching. And he was talking about how it was negative and it just seemed to be going over the same things over and over and over again and I wanted it to be more uplifting. And not just, like, I, I wasn't defense, I wasn't mad, I, I really appreciated where he was coming from. I think it was a sincere email. But I remember just going, but I'm in 2 Corinthians. Like I'm not, it's not like I just picked 23 rough texts and I want you to just go through it. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm still in 2 Corinthians and it's, it's kind of a rough section of scripture and I just don't feel comfortable dodging it. And he understood that. He said, well, you know, I guess I, it's good to remember, but I remember thinking to myself, like I get it. I kind of wish I could just get off of this and go in another direction as well, but then I feel like I'm not doing God's word, the whole counsel of God's scripture, justice. 
And so this is one of those ideas, the judgment of God, the justice of God, um, and particularly in relation to Jesus. Like what this really flies against is this idea that the God of the Old Testament was a God of vengeance and justice, and then Jesus particularly, right? The God of the New Testament, which his name, we think his name is Jesus, but there's just always only been one God. Um, but when you look at this idea that Jesus is the different version, that it's just grace, that God is angry and mad and Jesus is, you know, he's like the father God and Jesus acts more like the mother God. Hey, just relax. Why don't you can't just love the kids? Why can't you just, right? That's usually not the way the Bible describes it at all. And so I thought that I would just give you some, and these aren't gonna appear on the screen per se, but I wanna give you some ideas about the judgment of God and particularly how Jesus fits into that. So these are some overarching ideas before we read verse 20 to see what the Bible teaches in general about God's judgment. First of all this, there will be a day, a day when God will judge everyone made in his image. And that is important for you to realize. That God's generic, or God's just justice and God's judgment is not generic. That it actually is very purposeful. That you need to understand when we look at what is known as the meta-narrative or the big picture of God, that God has made us in his image. And therefore, we owe our very lives to him and the fruit of our hands to him and the dedication and the overflow of our lives to him. And when we don't, when, when someone who has been made in the image of God chooses to worship some other Hindu God, when they decide to worship some other American God, that we are, in fact, not just living our lives for ourselves, but defying the way that we were made, the way that we were designed, and we're actually robbing God himself. If you ever wonder, like, why is God so mad? Why is God so angry? And in part, okay, it is because he made mankind, humankind, in his image for his glory, and we decide to say, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to live for myself. So how do you respond when people steal or rob from you? And, and if you get upset, and if you feel cheated or violated, yeah, so you know how, literally, so you know how God feels. I remember one, one, one morning I woke up, um, either I'd left the garage door up or I'd gone, I can't remember what it was exactly. I'd just go out and someone had been in my car. They took my car keys, they took my checkbook, they took a number, and I just remember feeling like somebody had done something wrong to me. I didn't go, oh, it's just a car, you know, car keys and a checkbook. Somebody came in and took my stuff. I called the police. And you don't look at me and go, that's crazy. You go, yeah, that's what we do. So God, on this day of judgment, will judge, hear me, those made in his image. That's all of us. Second thing that we read biblically, by the way, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is destined everyone once to die and then judgment. Hebrews 9.27. Second thing that we see is that everyone will be judged by the one, meaning Jesus, and he appointed and has proven this by raising him from the dead. So God's judgment is not a generic judgment. Okay, he doesn't judge people generically, and actually the judgment itself is not a generic judgment. 
that he is actually doing this through Jesus Christ. This is found in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Paul is preaching to some deep intellectual philosophers who have profound views about gods or God and gods. They have profound views about what is right and what is wrong. They love to debate these things. And Paul comes in and says, I want to talk to you about the resurrection of the dead. I want to talk to you about the, the day of judgment. Some listen, most of them don't. They kind of laugh at him. They think his ideas are crazy. But Paul says that God has given proof of all of this, the idea of a day of judgment by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Like, I I know that the resurrection gives us hope and peace, and we think about the resurrection and go, I'm just so grateful um, that, that Jesus was raised from the dead so that when I die, I might be raised from the dead. But Paul says that one of the theological reasons or one of the theological um, results from the resurrection is proof that we will all be judged someday. And Jesus is going to be the one through whom that judgment will take place. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Third thing that we see, and by the way, I'm not gonna give all of them, I've got two more. The third thing that we actually see is that God's judgment will be true and just. God's God's judgment will be true. Whenever I hear about a court case, I mean, I hope they get it right. Whenever anybody else makes a judgment, oh, I hope they get it right. But when it's God, I don't hope he gets it right. It's right. Like when God himself, think about how big he is, when God makes a judgment, we go, oh, that's what right is. God declares whoever, whichever one of us, guilty or innocent, we go, oh, that's what guilt or innocence looks like. Okay? We don't argue with it. It is true and just. In the Bible, when God's judgments are poured out, the, the proclamation of the people of God are gr- great and true and just are your judgments because they fit in line with his character. Revelation chapter 19, verse 2, when Jesus Christ comes in judgment, riding on the white stallion, and he is producing this, the, the outpouring of God's wrath. Again, a word, a concept that we really wrestle with and with our modern sensibility. And, and we see this picture of Jesus, and the proclamation is true and just, righteous are your judgments, God. And, and listen, I, I get it. I, I get that when um, people that we love pass away and we have a funeral for them, and, and I begin to talk to those people about their loved one that has passed on, and I, I begin to, to wonder, boy, the, just how much they totally believe this person is on the I don't, I don't know them very well, so who am I to say, right? I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. Do you think my grandma went to heaven? I'm not the judge. I don't, like, I don't know that. We can talk about how people get saved, but really God's the only one that's going to know that. And I I can even wonder sometimes how much they are proclaiming their their loved one is, how much they desire that. Um, I, I wonder, get a little Shakespearean on me, and I think I believe thou might thus protest too much. But I get the heart. I get what they're asking. I, I, even, I even understand, okay? I understand. Not that I said okay or right, but I understand where people come from when they just say things like, man, if my wife doesn't go to heaven, then I don't know if I want to go either. Like, I have, I have real people in my life who cannot come to terms with God because they believe or know, for that matter, that their loved one didn't make it. And so they look at, at, at God in terms of his judgment and they just say, I don't, I don't want any part of that. And listen, don't tell me I don't love my wife. I love her. I love her more than any other human in this world. Of all the eight, 10 billion people, she's my favorite. Okay? And if God, if God says to Andrea, you're not 
part of this. And I don't, I don't believe, I don't expect that at all. But should God say that, my response would be, amen. Like he, he's not gonna get that wrong. Now, see, if I use me as an example, you go, well, of course. But I use Andrea and you get all sensitive on me. But if God looks at one of my boys and says, no, that judgment is just and true, do you believe that? We've got to understand and trust and believe that God is true and just in his judgments. And right now, again, that that might be boiling up inside of you. That may be causing some friction in your own mind or in your own heart. And again, I understand where it's coming from. But if I have to choose between you and I and our limited understanding of even those that we know and love the most, or the creator of heaven and earth who made and loves everyone, I unapologetically am going to go with him. I'm I'm going to side with him. And actually, I, I find great peace, like great peace, in knowing that when I stand in eternity with him, when I stand, and I believe I will, by the way, I believe I will, because I've, I've done nothing, but I've connected my life to Jesus, okay? That's how we end the sermon. I've connected to him, and he's awesome. That's where my hope is. But I, I believe that when I am there, like I will just have this incredible sense of, like this is the way it's supposed to be. Not, where's grandma? Where she's supposed to be. And this is, this is what I desire. That's, that's what kingdom life is all about. And it, it doesn't mean that we love those less. It really means that we trust and believe and love God most. And if that sounds crazy to you, I'm telling you, that's what the Bible teaches consistently. And I love the fact that he is good and can be trusted in all of this. The last one, which may surprise you, and this is one of the strongest themes that we're going to see today, is this. The judgment is more strict and more severe for those who have received greater gifts, greater revelation, and greater responsibilities. That God's judgment is more. So let me give you some verses for that. 1 Peter 4, 17 says that judgment begins first with the house of God. Like, I know you thought he was going to go to San Francisco and inner city LA and New York and maybe Delhi. That's where he was going to begin, right? But actually what the Bible teaches is that there begins by God in this house cleaning process. Those who, who have believed, and you even go back and look on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says to them, um, who, who said, Jesus, we did all these things for you. And Jesus says, I, I never knew you. You've never obeyed me. I know you've pretended to obey me. I know you've gone through the motions, but I don't know who you are. And he begins, many, many times that we see this in the scripture, he begins with his own house. And that's why the judgments against Israel are more severe than God's judgment against the pagan nations. Because you knew better. I came down on Mount Sinai. I gave you the law. I gave you Moses. I gave you Abraham. I gave you all of these people. I gave you all of this revelation. I showed all of these miraculous things. And therefore, the judgment comes, and it comes more strict and more severe. So the Bible teaches that. 1 Peter 4, 17. James 3, 1 says, For those of you who are teachers, you will be judged more strictly. I remember when I felt this the most, I still remember the time I was going to Ozark to teach preaching. And, and you know, I've always kind of felt it 
um, being a teacher of God's word, um, that I needed not, not just, and by the way, I can't just run and hide because then God will judge me for that too. You see what I'm saying? So I can't just run and hide from the responsibilities that God has given me, but I remember thinking through that I am going to be helping young men and women become proclaimers of God's word, and it just shook me in a whole different way. Oh, man. <laughs> this just really, I take, James 3, 1 is not intended to scare me. It's actually intended to sober me up so that I take seriously what it means to rely on him and to trust in him and to teach him with a humble heart. So those of you who wanna teach, let me, let me put it in a way that, you, teaching would be the biggest thing, but I would even say this. Um, so if you wanna have kids, like so that you can like teach them just the general rules of life, I do believe that parents are gonna be held responsible for our kids. And by the way, not that we have to raise perfect kids or God's gonna be mad at us. That's not what I'm saying. But so many of us, I want kids to kind of become more self-actualized or someone that I can dress up to look like me or whatever it is, right? Someone that can accomplish all the things that I couldn't accomplish, whatever reason you decided to have kids, okay? Those are mine, but maybe you have others. And God says, but I gave you these people made in my image. And I, I, I want them to last in eternity with me. And I gave you, Jim Johnson, that uses my name, right? Because it's not a generic judgment. I gave you, Jim Johnson, these young men to train up spiritually. I can't bypass that. I can't run from that. So it's amazing. We had baby dedication just a few um, weeks ago, the responsibility of God giving you another life for what purpose? Facebook pictures? Seriously? So that we can get all excited at graduation? That's it? Or to train up in the fear and the admonition and the glory of the Lord? That's heavy. It seems heavy. So Jesus says in verse 20, beginning with, and I'm just gonna kind of walk through the text, verses 20 through 24, Jesus offers some rather stern, and by the way, I really don't even mind if you wanna send me emails and go, the first part of your message was rather mean, and then I, it kind of picked up after that. I get it. Verse 20, then he, that's Jesus, began to denounce. Here's kind of a strong word. Wait, what happened to encouraging Jesus? Whatever happened for every one negative or thing you say, need to say seven positive. Jesus hasn't read those books. Jesus does what Jesus does. By the way, it doesn't mean that those principles aren't even true for us, but Jesus does what Jesus does. And when Jesus does it, it's perfect. He began to denounce perfectly the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. It wasn't because they still went to the casino. It wasn't because they still drank on weekends. It wasn't because they didn't go to church or they did go to church and they faked it. I mean, it was that they did not repent. They did not change their mind about him. I'm gonna go back to this all the time. They did not change their mind about him. They decided to still live their lives for themselves. They still were the ones standing in the center of their lives and everything is just whirling around their own lives and they did not take the truths about who Jesus, take the miracles, thank you for healing my mom, thank you for providing me this, thank you for the food, but I'm still gonna be the king of my own captain. King of my own captain? 
king of my own country, captain of my own ship. Okay, that's what I was going in my head. That's what I'm going to do, Jesus. I'm still going in my direction, but thanks for the little, thanks for the tidbits. I, you know, Aaron said I kept Jesus in my back pocket like a good Bible Belt Christian does in America. And Jesus actually, upon those people, upon pre-19-year-old Aaron, God denounces. You know that. Denounces. Where all these mighty works had been done, that they did not change their mind about him. They did not repent. 21, woe to you, which is a a curse. (laughs) He's denouncing, now he's pronouncing a curse. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the mighty works, if they had been done in, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, two cities in the Old Testament that God's judgment is poured out on. We know of Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll read that one in a second. Tyre and Sidon kind of have that same feel to it. God's judgment upon the evil, proud, braggadocious, we're the greatest cities in the world, we're the greatest country in the world, we're the most awesome of the world. Do you know anybody that does that? Any countries that do that? Like, we're the most awesome and we're the greatest. God seems to want to punch those ones in the teeth. Just saying. Well, actually, here's what it is. The ones that do that and don't recognize who he is, that's really what it is. The ones that do that and think they did it on their own. Tyre and Sidon, and he says, woe to you, Corazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done the ones that you experienced, if they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, listen to this, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They could have figured it out if they would have seen this, and you can't. Verse 22, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. This, is, this, this becomes sobering to me. How many of you are grateful that we live in America, right? I'm serious. Yeah, I do. I am, and I actually chose to live here, Okay? And I'm grateful to be here, genuinely grateful to be here. And in many ways, hopefully not in a bragging way, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of great that this country has. I have no problem thanking God for all of it and begging him to keep his favor upon us for his name's sake, not ours. That's my, those are my prayers, okay? So I'm really, 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 really grateful for that. But you do understand that what Jesus is saying here, right? Even if I say, wow, we get to worship in freedom, we get all of these amazing resources. You, you do re- resources. I'll, I'll learn to say that right. Resources. If this is what we have and if this is what we get excited about, you do realize that according to our last statement of judgment, then you will be judged more strictly. Like when we say, isn't it great to be in a country where we can all know about Jesus? Then if you know about Jesus, you've got a responsibility to share them, not just pay Aaron to go do it for you in India. That if, you, if you've got just a, a massive amount of wealth and resources and you've used them to focus on yourself and your own enjoyment, that there will come a day where God will say literally to you, wow, like you didn't realize I gave this to you so that others might come to know me? Like you never saw your wealth. You never saw that as a gift from me. You never saw the clear revelation and the clear proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. You never saw that and decided that you needed to go out and share it. You just knew how to take. This, is, this hits me hard. This, this has been a rough week for me going through this text because I am so quick to celebrate and to be grateful for all that God has done for me. 
And Jesus says, listen, then more is required of you. More is expected of you for my name's sake. And I really believe that one of the biggest reasons why countries like America that have been um, experiencing in the past uh, the rich freedoms and the rich resources is because God will and has used us for many great things. But let's not try to pretend that there won't come a real day where we will face him. And Jesus says it very clearly. Something is broken when we see those things as for ourselves and about ourselves. Verse 23, he's not even done yet. And you, Capernaum, I'll actually be there in a couple of days where Jesus spent most of his time teaching in a particular synagogue there. We can, well, I'll, I'll actually, there are some of us that are going this next Saturday. Um, and sometime before we come back, we'll spend some time in the synagogue where Jesus taught. It's crazy. It's right here. This is it. Across the street, Peter's house. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? And the implied answer is no. And then the statement he says is, you'll be brought down to Hades, to the land of the dead. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. (laughs) Wow, Sodom and Gomorrah are, like they would have been able to figure it out. That's how hard-hearted you were. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment, a real time, a real encounter that you and I will have with God. It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for, for the land of Sodom than for you. And that's sobering. Like that's, it's, it's hard to fathom. I, I really do. I spend a lot of time thinking about the day of judgment. I know what you might be thinking. Dude, you're sick. And I'm going, well, first of all, let me tell you this. Like the day of judgment is gonna be a good day for me. Like, it's gonna be a great day for me. It's going to be the day when I see Jesus, like literally see Jesus for the first time. So excuse me, but I'll be excited. And I'll be able to hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. I totally expect that. I I totally expect to begin to receive from God the reward. Now, and by the way, I'm totally cool with you getting a better one. I am, I'll be able to cheer you on there as well because all of my corrupted nature will be cleaned out and we'll be spending eternity with him. So when I talk about the day of judgment, For those of us who are on the side of loving Christ, uh, trusting him with our sin problem, um, devoting our lives to him, the day of judgment is not a day to fear. It's not a day to dread. It it is a day of great rejoicing and a day day of great excitement. There will also be, I believe, in it at some level, some kind of sobering aspect of it because there will be those. There will be those who will not. And that's why I have to go back and and read that God is always true. He's perfectly just. He never makes a mistake. I get to lean into that as I experience this incredible joy of eternity with God. That's what I desire more than anything else, is to spend eternity with the one who made me. So Jesus speaks very clearly and passionately that to just bypass him is not just a tiny little, ah, whatever, I've had a lot of time this past week with, our, with, 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 with Max graduating from high school and getting ready to go to college. And so I've heard how awesome the 2016 graduation class is. Smartest class ever. Sorry for those of you that graduated earlier, but it's the smartest class ever in the history of Stillwater, history of the world, I think. And all these young men and women are gonna do all these great and amazing things and it's just gonna be awesome and incredible. So hyperbole to the max. <laughs> yeah, literally, to the max. Um, 
And, and when, I, when, I, when I look at all of that and I think about all of that and I see all of that, I just, I genuinely, in light of this text, I'm just thinking, wow, so there's a lot of responsibility here. Like there's a lot of opportunity that can either be built, hear me, can be built for you or can be built for Jesus. One house is coming down. You know that. One house lasts forever. And so there will come a day when everything, everything will just find its resolve, its resolution. And that happens in Jesus. Uh, the Bible makes it really, really clear that the Father and the Son, that God the Father and Jesus the Son are intricately connected together. I've got a brother-in-law who um, believes really strongly in a somehow force that exists in the universe and he's really grateful for the force of the universe. And so he's trying to live his life as nice and as well as he can. Um, he's not killed anybody. I, I think he's been faithful to my sister for the most part. Um, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things. And his plan is, we talk about it all the time, his plan is, is that when he gets up and kind of is near this force or whatever, that everything should be fine. And he just can't imagine anything he's done in his life um, to kind of offend this force. I'm like, dude, have you watched Star Wars like one too many times? Like, what if it's not a force? What if it's Yahweh? And what if Jesus is the one? Like, that's what the Bible teaches. And by the way, that's what I choose to believe. Is that the Bible gives me the clearest picture of the divine. Yahweh is his name. And that in the New Testament, we read that he sent his son, Jesus, who died and gave proof of it through the resurrection. Like that is the narrative that I believe. And therefore, I'm trying to order my life around that. There is this strong connection. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing. He is rearranging the narrative or the story in people's lives. And there are some in India that are going, yes, I want to follow Yeshua. And there are some that are saying, no, I don't want to follow. Just like in Jesus' day. There are some people saying, yes, I want to follow Yeshua. And others are going, no, I'm not going to follow Yeshua. It's Moshe, Moses. He is the one we're going to follow. And Jesus is saying, okay, like when you hear of me and when you know me and when you reject me, woe to you. Feels heavy, doesn't it? It feels heavy too. As much as I'm excited about that day, like I, I, I can sense the burden. Like I can see God like peering in and pulling through my life and, and exposing my selfish heart or my temporary, um, temporary joys and he's pushing me further and further and there are times like I feel like I'm gonna break and so I'm so grateful that this verse, this section of scripture ends this way. He doesn't go, damn you people for not listening to me. Literally, that's not a swear word. It's Jesus saying you're gonna be damned. So this is what's going to happen and you're in trouble and you better listen to me. End of sermon. No, he, he, he's not, I don't even know if he's changing his tone. I don't know how he even kind of preached that first part. I think at times Jesus was probably very strong and at other times when he's pronouncing judgment, he appears to be weeping. That's how deep he is. But now he's going to offer rest and peace to his people. Verse 25, so at that time, Jesus declared, like, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What things? Like the truth about himself. Now, I don't know exactly how Jesus hid them. That's gonna be for another text or sermon or podcast. I'm not here to explain to you what that process actually looked like. Um, and by the way, God's, God's heart is not malicious. He is wanting no one to perish. So think of all the other Bible verses that describe who he is. 
But I also cannot explain away that this text says that God has hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. This is where it's tough for me. Because if you were to ask me, are you wise or are you a child? I'm wise. If you were to ask me, I don't feel like I'm very smart, but I am educated. So I have understanding. Are you, do you have understanding or are you like a little child? I have understanding. I read texts like this and God's like, yeah, like it's people like you, Jim. You think you're wise and you think you're smart and you're so wise and you're so smart that you totally miss God. And by the way, notice what Jesus is doing here. He is praising God for this. God, like, God, I thank you that for those people who think they're smarter than and better than and all of those things, that you hide it from them and you reveal it to those who are meek and humble. I don't know about you, there's actually a part of that that I kind of like. Do we kind of cheer, like in movies and stuff, that the know-it-alls, that they kind of, when they get it stuck to them, we, don't we kind of get excited? And the, kind of the people that are struggling through and someone cares for them, don't we go, yeah, isn't that awesome? And this is where it's like, well, I don't know if I want to be the wise and understanding one in this text. And Jesus is pointing out, I would even say that that's probably one of the reasons why these cities, Chorazon and Bethsaida, um, Capernaum, uh, Jerusalem, one of the biggest reasons why they failed to repent, why they failed to change their mind is because their mind had already been made up about him. When you're wise and have profound understanding, <laughs> repentance, I'm not talking about feeling bad for what you've done, but a true change of mind, just it seems impossible. Right? Have you, ever, have you ever thought about different biblical things and say, it'd be impossible for me to believe that? The young man who lives in my house of the Muslim faith, he wants to ask me sometimes if he knows why I will not believe in Jesus. And I told him the other day, first time I'd ever used this approach evangelistically, yeah, because your mind is made up and your heart is hard. And he just kind of looked at me. I said, isn't it? Like, no matter what I say about Jesus, you won't listen to me, will you? Now, before you just go, oh, and you think you're the smart one? See, see how complicated it gets? I promise you my mind goes there. But Jesus says, I'm just so grateful that you did this. Verse 26, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will that the lesser thans of society, it's not our intellect, it's not our power. If anything, those things seem to get in the way. And Jesus reveals himself in powerful ways to those who struggle, to those who are weak, to know those who understand that they truly are broken, that it is my bent to be selfish and sinful. And without Jesus, I am such a mess. I'm so grateful for what he saved me from. And I got so, I've got nothing. When I talk about the day of judgment, part of my piece is I now think I know, um, and he keeps taking me further in this journey, but uh, quest, not journey, not adventure, quest. Uh, last week's message reference. Okay, uh, when I'm on that, when I'm at that day and when I see him, like I'm fully aware, like I got nothing to give him apart from Christ. I didn't happen to be smarter than some of you who don't get it because I do get it. I, I, I promise you, I don't go there. It's, it's a mystery. There is a mystery to how all of this works. Jesus continues in verse 27. 
And all things have been handed over to me by my Father, which is one of the reasons why he will be the judge. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I love the, without going, we could have a whole sermon series on this, but I love there is a God element involved in our faith, and not just passively, but actively. Like one of the best things that we could do biblically is to pray for the Lord to work mightily in the hearts of those people that you and I love who don't know Jesus. That more than the great things that you and I can do by being kind and gracious and sweet and taking them lunch, Sure, all those things are great. They're just an example of what, a, what Christ would do. But there's so much more that just can't be nailed down. There's more than just technique to our evangelism. There is the miraculous God himself. And then Jesus ends, verses 28, 29, and 30. I'm gonna read these as we close. And I want you to get a sense of the rest and the peace that comes from this. Like I know it started out kind of rough, but interestingly enough, these are probably three of the most tender verses of Jesus in the entire gospel. And he means them. And maybe because after you're done denouncing and declaring, uh, maybe it's good to point out to those, especially the disciples that he would hear, that would, that would hear this and, and the crowds that would hear this statement, the heart of Jesus is not to pronounce judgment, but to pronounce peace. But to those who reject it because they're too smart, there is another option. I, hope, I, I choose that you take peace. I pray that you find peace. I pray that you take Jesus, that you follow him and the joy of following him. He says in verse 28, come to me. An invitation. Like, come to me. Not, 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 not just this generic, I love how he begins with come to me because it really is about Jesus. Now he's gonna talk about his teaching here in a moment, but it is come to me. Not follow these rules. Come to me. Come experience what only I can give you because only I can accomplish peace with God for you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I don't know where you're at in terms of just working and striving and trying to please God. I don't know, I'm working and I'm trying and I'm just trying to raise my family. Have you ever just been weighed down by just all the responsibilities of being a parent and I don't think I can do this? I mean, just think about all of the things in your life. I don't know if I can do my job. I don't know if I can take care of my family. I mean, really, I mean, I, this is the number one thing I hear from people nowadays is just how worn down they are and they can't keep up. And it's funny, Jesus' answer, a lot of preachers go, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can. Jesus actually goes, no, you can't. I agree with you. You really can't. But come to me. I'll give you rest. You, you want to try to just please God by your goodness? Come to me and you'll actually experience that not only can you not do it, but I've done it for you. That changes church right there. <laughs> Like it's at my funeral, I don't want you to talk about anything I've done. Just talk about Jesus and say, and all that stuff I just told you about, Jim, believe that. See, that's the rest for my soul. And so I look at my kids and I'm all freaked out because Max is gonna graduate and Max is gonna go to Joplin, Missouri. He's gonna be going to school and he's got some health issues and what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And God's like, yeah, you can't do this. Remember the day when you realized you couldn't take care of your kids? You know, and they're two 
And then the peace that comes when you realize that God can. And the real question is, <laughs> you just don't trust God, do you? Yeah, I don't either. I should. I gotta keep my kids safe. I gotta keep my kids. I gotta keep my job. I gotta keep my... And Jesus is coming and he is describing a completely different way of looking at things by trusting him. I love this. I hear this all the time. I've got these friends who don't know the Lord and I want them to know the Lord and what can I do and how do I save them? You can't, but you can ask them if they wanna follow Jesus as the only God. Like that's what you can do. So Jesus says, take my yoke. That's a word for his teaching. Take my yoke. Take my teaching. Don't just try to follow the law of Moses, but look for me as the filter to understand how to become a righteous in a way that only God can produce through you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That lowly in heart, word humble, only time it's referred to Jesus in the entire New Testament. Jesus is very humble. And he understands perfectly who he is. And when you take your, his yoke, when you follow him, when you get him, you will, future tense, find rest for your souls. For his teaching, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And let me tell you, if it's not for you, then something is wrong on your end, not Jesus's. The New Testament teachers even said this in the book of Acts. Why are we gonna make it so hard on the Gentiles and put a yoke on them that neither our fathers nor ourselves were able to bear in Acts 15? And I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If ever I have preached and you have felt that I have put a yoke on you or a burden on you that you could not measure up to, either I said it wrong or you and took it the wrong way, maybe a combination of the two, but every time I preach or every time you speak to your kids about Jesus or every time there really should be a burden is light because we are talking about and proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done and the joy of following him. John says in 1 John 5, 3 that the commands of God are not burdensome. Actually, I think here's what we see is that if you look at God's commands for you to love and to give and to share, and it's a burden to you, then I don't think you understand the gift of Jesus for you. Let me say that again. If you think about all that we have been required to do for God because of his great love for us, and, his, and if that just seems like a burden to you, my concern is that I don't think you understand the gift of Jesus and what he has accomplished for you. Everyone in my life that um, I have an opportunity to, to serve and to be a part of, I, I literally walk away and I, I feel kind of used. Like, don't tell Andrea, but there have been times in my marriage I feel like she's kind of used me, not appreciated me, and I guarantee it's the same. How many of you have felt kind of used by your kids? Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, totally. And there's still just two, but you feel used by them, okay? By the way, it gets more complicated as they get older. Friends, yeah. When I think about it, the only one that I'd never feel that way, and I hope they use me the most, is Jesus. I never feel like he's using me while he's using me. Amen? And may you never feel the same way either because you understand the full experience and joy of following him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time and for the opportunity that we have to hear the truth about judgment and the greater truth about Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would take seriously with sober minds 
that one day we will face a judge and I doubt on the other side of that it's going to be what George Lucas thinks. I believe the Bible. I believe in the testimony of the saints that have gone before me. Um, and Father, I pray that you would just give us that same depth of insight, that same ability to change our minds and find peace in Jesus. Thank you, God, for not just giving another list of things to do, but Jesus. Thank you for the fact that he does it through us and the joy that comes in the midst of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, I'd love to talk to you about this. Um, myself and a few others, about 25, are actually leaving on Saturday, going to the Holy Land. And so myself and a few others on staff, Scott Irwin, Steve Broadway, are, and then a number of others, about 25 of us. I'm not asking you to pray for our safety, okay? Okay, and again, I, and I want to be safe, I promise you. I want to be safe, but really pray for our time over there as we get to experience some amazing places. And I say all of that, actually, to make some of you a little envious in a good way. And to tell you this, we're going back, Lord willing, in 2018 and would love to have you come on that journey of the Holy Land with us. God bless and we will see you from Israel.